all here today and welcome to Christian Outreach Centre here in beautiful Charters Towers and beautiful it is with all the greenery that we've prayed for. So, But it's so good to have you join us as we come around the Word of God and be built up and edified by it. To be edified is to be charged and the Word of God has an ability to impart faith as you hear it. And so, but in the recent weeks, among the titles of the messages delivered, uh, one of them was called 180 Degree Turnaround, and uh, the other one was Prominence or Preeminence. Is Jesus' position in your life one of importance or prominence, or is he first an absolute preeminent in all things? It's a massive big difference. Uh, uh, Called out of the world, citizens of heaven. Oh, oh Lord, this is the message we we had on Wednesday night. It was, oh, Lord, I give you my life at the last midweek meeting. Oh, Lord, I give you my life, taken from Psalm 25, verse 1. But all these messages seem to have a common theme uh, theme or golden thread flowing through them. And uh, it's calling the believer, that's you and I, uh, to a walk of faith in Christ that has an authenticity about it a reality that is reflected in what we read in the book of Acts. Jesus is returning soon, the Bible says, and he's coming for a bride without spot nor blemish. And I'd like to ask you this morning, are you ready? If Jesus was to come before my message is finished, are you ready? And so uh, uh, Luke 18.8 says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith in you today? So the title of my message this morning is A Nation, a King and a Son. But to kick it off with, I'd like to uh, talk about the nation and turning into your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 6. I pray that you've brought your Bibles with you and, uh, and a notepad and a, and a pen and uh, begin to jot down a few notes and come and learn along with me. But in Second Chronicles chapter 6, Uh, we find and read of a nation, a wayward and a prodigal nation. We hear so much about the prodigal son, but here we're reading really about a prodigal and a wayward nation. And we find in Israel's history that King Solomon dedicates the glorious temple to the Lord. And it takes on the whole chapter and this beautiful prayer that King Solomon prays and, uh, and it speaks and prophetically into the future, the Jewish people's history. His words also echo the prophetic words of Moses in Deuteronomy 28 and 29. And uh, I'll go quickly to that uh, Deuteronomy 28 and 29. I'll go there while you remain in Chronicles. But in there, uh, Moses is speaking about uh, uh, the, the 12... 14 verses of absolute blessing with walking according to God's laws and plans and his will. And then it's followed by the complicated life of 54 verses of curses if you want to do your life your own way. And, And basically Joshua nails it when he says, choose this day whom you will serve because the Lord is not interested in taking away your personal free will. Our job is to preach the gospel. People's response to the gospel, the Lord never takes away people's free will. The sword is never put to anybody's throat to say, you must be able to believe. Other religions have been known to do that, but we do not do that. The gospel never does that. It always never takes away the people's free conscience nor will. And so uh, we are given a choice. And, uh, but in uh, Deuteronomy 28, it says... 
that the Lord will scatter the people from amongst the ends of the earth and they would be an exiled people. And even before they went into the promised land, Moses was predicting that they, the people would stray and the people would be taken into exile. Moses was a prophet. He was not just the man who wrote the first five books, the Torah of the Bible, but he also was a prophet. And in Second Chronicles, and we see that the words of Moses are echoed in Second Chronicles chapter 6. And, uh, and the, he's talking here. And he says, when there is a famine in the land, this is Solomon dedicating the temple, and he's praying to God, and he says, when there's a famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locust or grasshoppers, when the enemies besiege them in the land of the cities where the plague or wherever sickness there is. In the previous verse, he says, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain, and he's predicting that these things will occur, and he says, but basically to paraphrase this chapter, he is saying, when we call upon your name that you would hear us. And then, of course, then God responds in Second Chronicles 7.14, a common verse where many people here would know it. And God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so it's in a an incredible promise from God. But he's saying there in this Second Chronicles chapter 6 uh, that they would be dispersed or exiled to another land because of their disobedience. And verses 25 and 26, when the heavens are shut up, there's no rain because they have sinned against you. And when they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sin uh, because you afflicted them. You see that? That word there, turn, that word turn there is repentance. Turning from your sin is repentance and is very much a major part of uh, the gospel message. The gospel message without repentance is not salvation. People can say a prayer and not repent of anything and just add Jesus to their life. They can come up here, pray a prayer and just add, but with no repentance, no repentance, that's not gospel. And, God, and repentance looks like something. It is a 180 degree turnaround from a lifestyle that we once condoned, we once lived, we once loved, but we turn our back on the things of the earth, but we turn towards God. Amen? And that is very much the gospel message. And so uh, and here we find in Second Chronicles chapter 6, and uh, we see that there's pride that rises up in the nation of the Jewish people. Pride rises up, people no longer seeking God. Moses and both Solomon predict these things in these chapters. And the people embrace wickedness and their spiritual harlotries had gripped the hearts of the people and they could not be deterred. It's a terrible thing when the people surrounded in a, in a nation and the people cannot be deterred from living lives that are against the will of God. Amen? And our hearts grieved. All the prophets had called for a turning back to God. In fact, if there was one common thread through all the four major prophets and the 12 minor prophets is turn back to God. And this is the message that we will bring to these people here in this region. Turn back to God. It's very, very simple. Turn back to God. And if our lives these days are so complicated because we have turned away from God. 
But a turning back to God will bring back the simplicity of a life that we once used to live. And so all the prophets called for this. The prophet Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, his soul was vexed and his heart heavy with the sin of the people and their unwillingness to change. He's known as the weeping prophet because he could see what was coming upon the earth. He could see that the Babylonians were raising up their ugly head and, and the Jewish people were to be fodder for him. Amen. And he was grieved and he was calling the people back to God. He said, please turn back to God. And for his trouble, they stuck him in the bottom of a well, threw him down a few uh, breadcrumbs and he nearly died in the mud. And, uh, but his voice echoed from the bottom of the well till the day that the Babylonians came and took the Jewish people and the people of Judea away. And his voice could still be heard echoing in the well, turn back to God. Amazing, isn't it? The prophet Jeremiah, seeing what was coming, I see, I see today things in a very similar nature are coming upon the earth and I call the people of God and I call the Charters Towers region back to God and my heart pleads with people, turn back to God. Turn back to God. We see a prodigal nation, a wayward nation, a nation whose heart is separated from God and of course this describing any nation Really, it could describe any nation that turns away from God. In verse 38, in this chapter of, uh, of, of Chronicles, and it says, And when they return to you with all their hearts. See that word return again? Basically is repent. When they repent, when they turn to you with all their heart. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It's your resources. And uh, with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they have been carried captive. He was already foreseeing a hundred years before it even happened, hundreds of years before it happened. But when they pray towards the land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and the, towards the temple which I have built for your name, verse 39, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer, and their supplications, and maintain their cause. Forgive the people who have sinned against you. How God is so willing to forgive people. Amen. His mercy endures forever. We talked about on Wednesday night. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. God's love for you is immense and it is intense. And his mercy endures forever. Repeated 26 times in 26 verses in the Psalm of 36. Amazing. A prodigal nation. A wayward nation. And so it says in Second Chronicles 6.37, Yet when they come to themselves, verse 37, I'll go back to verse 37, Yet when they come to themselves, what, a, what an amazing thing to say, Yet when they come to themselves. In other words, when they come to their senses. Turn to the person next to you and say, Have you come to your senses? <laughs> Have you come to your senses? Have you come to yourselves? Have you come to your senses? This is what the Bible's telling us. Have you come to your senses? And Aussie would say, wake up to yourself. <laughs> and he'd give you a clip around the ear at the same time. Wake up to yourself, boy. Wake up to yourself. Amen? When they come to themselves in the land where they were carried away captive, to repent. There it is. That, that R word again. Repent. 
makes you squirm, doesn't it? And, when the, and make supplication in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have done wrong, and have committed wickedness. An admission of our sin, or the Lord promises days of refreshing when we repent. Sometimes we carry, the, carry this burden of sin far longer than necessary, but immediately when we repent, there's this great burden lifted off our back, and you begin to walk differently. Your slate is wiped clean. You no longer carry the burden and wickedness of sin, which you were never designed to carry. Amen? So when they come to themselves, as prophesied by Moses, a nation of Israel would sin against God. And so that brings us now, so we've spoken about, I'm talking about this morning, a nation, king, and a son. And what nations uh, and what king took the children of Israel to a faraway land? He had warned them that this would happen hundreds of years before it did. But after Solomon's death, this same Solomon who prayed this prayer, the kingdom of Israel was divided. The northern kingdom, it actually was taken away captive to Syria. The Assyrians were the dominating power in that day. And they were taking the slaves and captives into Assyrian 722 BC. And so, and approximately about 136 years later, the southern kingdom of Judea after, and continued in their moral and spiritual decline. They didn't learn from the lessons of their, of their, of their brothers in the northern part of the kingdom. They never learned their lesson. So, so things never happen just by themselves. And the Lord gives us so many warnings all the time. And so we say to the region of Charters Towers, Come to your senses, consider your ways, and turn back to God. And why? Because God loves you. God's got a, a better plan for your life. He wants to prosper you. He wants to give you a future, and he wants to give you a hope. And so the southern kingdom of Israel called Judea, it too then was taken captive in 586 by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who then became the ruling and reigning uh, 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 kingdom of the day. 2 Chronicles 6.36, deliver them to the enemy and, and they take them captive to a faraway land. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar fulfilled the word of the Lord and he was the godless king at the time who took away the children of Israel. This morning I'm talking to you about a nation, a king and a son. The nation is Israel, but it's no different to this nation of our own. No different. The king is Nebuchadnezzar, but he is representative of all foreign kings on the earth. Presidents, prime ministers, dictators and despots can all learn a lesson from what we're going to read now in, uh, about King Nebuchadnezzar. And so, in the book of Daniel, the king and his kingdom is described as the head of gold. And we know that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of this vast statue. Its head was of gold, which represented Babylon. It represented King Nebuchadnezzar. Its chest and arms were of silver, which were, would indicate the next major world empire, the Medes and Persians. One arm here, one arm there. That's the Medes and the Persians. Its waist and thighs were of bronze, which represented the Greek empire. And then its legs were uh, steel, representing the two arms, the east and western side of the Roman empire, and its feet of iron and clay representing the Roman Empire mixed with iron and clay, a revived uh, Roman Empire comprising of both strong and weak nations. 
And so, but there is nothing that has the ability to bring a king or a nation lower than pride. Think about that for a moment. I'm talking a little bit about pride today because this is the, probably one of the major forces that bring, brings kingdoms and kings down. And, uh, and so uh, uh, Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's the word of God, amen? And it's a warning to us. And that's why God uh, loves humility. He loves humility. And uh, it just opens up the heart of God to be humbled before God and men. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes shame, but with, but with the humble is wisdom. And so very clearly I can see the only thing between gold and dust is pride. Isn't it amazing? The only thing between gold and dust is pride. You may have all the gold in the world, but if you're filled with pride, it'll bring you to the dust of the earth. No quicker than anything else. And so in this uh, uh, chapter 4 of Daniel, i like if you would go there. And uh, chapter 4, and I, and I mentioned these chapters so that you can go home and read them for yourself and re-clarify these verses for yourself. And here we see in this chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 4 and verse 34, I'll just paraphrase a little bit. Once again, the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had a dream. And he, in this dream, he's described, he describes to Daniel that he, there was a massive big tree. And on this tree were beautiful, lovely leaves. Its fruit was abundant. There was food for all under this beautiful tree. The beast of the air sheltered under the tree. The birds of the air nested in its branches. And, uh, and Daniel revealed to King Nebuchadnezzar uh, that he was this great big tree. And he says, you, O king, are king of kings and lord of lords. He was the king of the, of the largest empire on the earth. Amen? And, uh, but what happened in this dream is this, this tree was going to be cut down until it was realized that the king of kings and lord of lords is the Lord God most high. Amen? And doesn't matter what big shot there is out there, Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it was a sober reminder and it was a sober warning to King Nebuchadnezzar to humble himself and to have regard for the, for, for the poor and to have regard for, the, for, the, for his subjects. And he says to let him know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he chooses. And... Uh, and uh, and that you come to know, in verse 26, that heaven rules. Can you say that today, this morning? Heaven rules. Heaven rules. And sometimes when you're young and everything like that, I mean, we've got, we've got our own ideas and we can be filled with the physical strength. You may have your, all your mental faculties and your eyesight is fantastic and your legs are tremendously strong and your arms and your, you're just feeling good, amen? And everything is going your way, Amen? But pride fills the human heart quicker than anything else. Pride fills us all. It's a number one enemy to the things of God. But Daniel gave him such a stern warning. And he says, heaven rules. It was just on a year later, King Nebuchadnezzar is walking the walls of Babylon. It's said, the historians tell us that six chariots in places could go side by side on sections of the walls of Babylon. They were vast. They were immense, 
was one of the most impressive ancient cities of all time. Everybody has heard of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. And so the king is walking about about a year later. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a dwelling place by my mighty power and for the honour of my majesty? Oh, dangerous words. Dangerous words for anybody. It says in verse 31, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And it says it will come to pass that you will be like the beast of the field for seven years until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he chooses. Tremendous, isn't it? Tremendous. King Nebuchadnezzar, filled with pride after severe warnings. And the Lord often gives us warnings. Things just do not happen just out of the blue. Things do not. There are always warnings. And the Lord is always wanting to draw us back. He says, repent. Why? Because I've got a better life for you. Turn from those things. And the Lord warns us as the Lord warned King Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 34... What happened is King Nebuchadnezzar then roamed the wild areas for seven years. His hair grew wild, his nails grew wild, he basically ate with the wild animals. And he began to think he was basically an insane king. And uh, amazing. And at the end of the time, it says in verse 34, I'm reading from Daniel chapter 4 and verse 34. And at the end of time... I wrote here, at the end of myself. <laughs> Have you come to the end of yourself today? When you've thought, I rule, I reign, it's my life, I do with it what I like. But it says, at the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes. Isn't it good to lift up your eyes? Amen. When the outlook is bleak, the uplook looks great. Amen. Get some uplook and begin to look up. At Ergon Energy, stolen, I lifted my eyes up to the hills from where comes my help. Nebuchadnezzar looked up, and my understanding returned to me. Amazing, isn't it? Has your understanding returned to you? And I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, he does nothing according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Oh, isn't it a good scripture, a great warning for us all? And it says in verse 34, it says, and my understanding, my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured him who lives forevermore. In verse 34, I looked up the NIV. That stands for a not an interesting version. It says, my sanity was returned. Oh, turn to the person next to you and say, has your sanity been returned? <laughs> has your sanity been returned? The English Standard Version says, my reason returned to me. The King James Version says, my understanding returned to me. In other words, it was gone, but it's returned. You see, if you're void of having God positioned as preeminent in your life, the Bible says that your reasoning, your knowledge and everything like that is absent. 
The legacy Bible says my knowledge returned to me. The Aramaic Bible says my mind returned to me. Or turn to the person next to you and say, have you lost your mind? (laughs) Have you lost your mind? The contemporary English version, and my mind was healed. Isn't that an interesting one? In other words, if you, if you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, not just prominent, but preeminent in all things, it says you have a sick mind. And the Bible says that God heals the heart of the backslider. Our hearts need to be healed. If we've walked away from God, if you've taken a step away from God, you've taken one step too far. But the Lord says, I will heal the heart because your heart needs to be healed. Your sanity, your reasoning, your knowledge, your understanding needs to be returned to you. You're not thinking straight, friend. You're not thinking straight. The God's Word translation says, my mind came back to me. Amen? See, your mind can be like a boomerang. Amen? It can come back to you. That's good news, isn't it, for the average Aussie? Daniel 4.36, and at the same time, my reason returned or I came to my senses. Let's read 36. Verse 36 of Daniel chapter 4. And it says, at the same time, in other words, at the same time that his reasoning was returned, at the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. You see what happens? The benefits of returning to God? Your honor and your splendor returns to you. It somehow has an amazing ability to depart from you when you depart from God. The blessing of God departs from your life. The same hand that blesses is the same hand that protects. And when your protection, when your breach, when your wall is broken or breached, all sorts of things can happen to your life. And he says, I was restored to my kingdom. And so he not only had his mind restored, he had his Honor and splendor returned. His counselors also resorted back to him. People returned. He must have lost some friends. I could imagine running around in the wild and not having a bath for seven years. You could lose a few friends. And it says that an excellent majesty was added to me. Oh, you see, it was in, there was increase even in his life. What a good message. Verse 37, and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down... They came from Nebuchadnezzar's words when he realized that the Most High rules and reigns. It's a good message to have a sober opinion of ourselves and understand that the Most High reigns. At the end of 70 years, they were in exile for 70 years in Babylon. And that too was prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. And in chapter 9 of the book of Daniel, let's go there. Because it tidies everything up. In chapter 9 of the book of of Daniel, it says at the end of 70 years, Daniel knowing that the end of the exile period was drawing to a close because he read Jeremiah's prophecy. And he repented. Here it is. Uh, Daniel repented on behalf of the nation. You see, it was repentance that brought the nation back to its homeland. The people were humbled, they came to their senses, and they were restored to the land of Israel. Daniel 9.19, this is a great prayer, great prayer. And Daniel is praying on behalf of the nation, and he says, O Lord, hear, 
O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. It's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? But that whole chapter really is a prayer of Daniel coming back on behalf of the nation back to God. And, and it was bringing a whole nation back to God. The title of my message this morning is A Nation, a King and a Son, which brings the message to our personal response to coming to our senses. We see a nation coming to its senses. We see a king coming to its senses. But now I'd like to talk to you about a son coming to his senses. And you know which son that was, of course. It was the prodigal son, wasn't it? He came to his senses. And it was a personal application of the revealed word of God. The Bible says that each man's sin is his own. And the sin of the forefathers is not our own. We are accountable for our own sin. Amen? And in, uh, and in Luke's gospel, I'll just quickly just recap on something like there, just right. So when the king came to his senses, he was returned to his kingdom. His splendor and honor and, uh, was returned. His counselors and nobles, his friends, returned. And here we see not only that the king was, was returned, but also because he was a man of influence, the, whole, the people also were returned to the nation. It's a great story, isn't it? It's a wonderful story. It is a powerful story. But I'm going to Luke chapter 15 right now. And in Luke chapter 15, we see three parables. And it is a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And you know, everybody knows the story or the parable of, uh, of the prodigal son. A wild and wasteful son. And he too was very, very lost. Does anybody here at any time in their life was very, very lost? Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? I could testify to that. I was so, so lost. I was 29 years old. I thought I had everything, but I had nothing. And I was oh, so, so lost. But when it dawned on me that I was lost, and I looked up, oh, the Lord restored everything to me, restored my mind, restored my, my wealth, restored my health, restored so many, many things. And so in, in loose gospel, we see a wayward son. And he went into a self-imposed exile, and uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse about 19 or 20, it says, Because they didn't see it worthwhile to retain a knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Here is a, 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 an apparently bright-headed young boy living in his father's house, under his roof, with all the provision, all the protection. Everything that his father had would have been his in time. Amen? One-third, I think, two-thirds would have gone to the eldest son by Jewish law, and one-third to the youngest son. But he, was a, he would have been rich, very, very rich, but he wanted his dough now. How many young people uh, do get filled with pride? I could say that when I was about 28, 29, I was filled with pride and would have been the one of the reasons for my undoing. And to young people I say, I've heard, they say, uh, when I was 20 years old, I couldn't believe how stupid my mum and dad were. It's amazing how much they learnt by the time I was 30. <laughs> it's a good story, isn't it? But it's true of us all, isn't it? When we were so 18, 19, 20, perhaps you've been to university and you've got it all happening for you and you can't believe how dumb your parents are, your uncles and your aunts, they have got no idea. We see all the things going on in university campuses these days. 
It's incredible to see what's happening, isn't it? It's appalling to see what's happening. But pride can be traced to a great deal of the root of those issues. And so we say, and here in uh, uh, verse 30, uh, uh, Luke chapter 15 and verse 17, and here we see and, uh, the prodigal son, he's eating the pig's food. He's in a foreign land. He's now in a drought. He's now in despair. He's now in great want himself. And then in verse 17, it says, but when he came to himself, there it is again. And that's how I came up with the message of a king, a, a, a nation, a king and a son. Because in all those three instances, a nation and a king and a son all came to themselves. They came to their sentences. Senses. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? You don't have to be perished with hunger, amen? Sanity was returned. Reason returned, amen? Understanding returned. When you're in the place of despair, when you're in the place of want, your reasoning begins to despair, uh, return to you, and uh, your knowledge returns to you. My mind returns to me. My mind needs healing, and healing comes when you call out. Daniel 4.36, and at the same time, my reason returned. Exactly happened to the prodigal son. His reasoning capacities returned when he began to look up repent and make his way back to the Father. I pray there's people here today and uh, we all need to assess, every one of us need to come back to the foundation of our faith. When the time when we gave our life to Jesus Christ, as it says in Psalm 25 verse 1, O Lord, I give you my life. I give you my life. How long is it since you've actually prayed a prayer like that with all sincerity and meant it? O Lord God, I give you my life. He's talking about a sacrificial life. He didn't want the blood of bulls and goats, but he wanted his heart. The son was reinstated. He was restored. He received compassion immediately from a loving father. You see, the Lord, is. A, he said, if you will come to the father, I will in no ways uh, turn away. And the Lord is ever so willing to give you compassion. He's not judgmental. The kisses on his neck from the father... The best robe was placed upon him. When you return to the Father, the robe of righteousness, oh, he puts it on your shoulders. His robe of righteousness is not even our own robe, it's, but it's his. He puts a ring on his hand, speaking of the authority. He puts sandals on your feet, which separates you from the dust of the earth. The fattened calf was killed, and there was a party going on tonight. Amen. When you return to Jesus, the angels rejoice. The angels were rejoicing here on Wednesday night. Three people. Oh, three people. It was so glorious to see. Three people came back to the Father. And uh, in, another, in another place, it says uh, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he said that that bloke, he said he left the city of the great king. He left Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of the great king. He left his father's house and he went down into Jericho. Jericho is one of the lowest cities on earth. It's only a few kilometers away from the Jordan River, which is the lowest place on earth. And so starts the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I'd like to say, well, Jules comes to the keys right now. And in 1 Samuel 14, 6, I love this verse. It says, For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Nothing. 2 Samuel 14, 14. 
Listen to this bit. And this is the Tekoan woman who stood before David when he was standing in the gap to restore Absalom to David, his father. And the Tekoan woman had a tremendous amount of wisdom and she said, yet God does not take away life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. What a beautiful verse. Have you ever seen that verse ever before? I read the Bible over and over and over and over and over and over. And I just went over that verse so many years, so many years. And it only dawned on me in the last two or three years, I think. Let me read that again. 2 Samuel 14, 14. Yet God does not take away life. He devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. The Lord wants us to return to him because the consequences of living a life away from God are not worth it. Proverbs 1.32 says, For the turning of the way of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. In verse 33 it goes on to say, But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. See the blessing? God wants to bring the blessing to your life. So walk with him. Walk with him today. And I, I always think, and if you're in that separated place, I've always found when you come to the end of yourself, you come to God. It's a good place to be. When you're at the end of the rope, tie a knot and call out to God. Can you think about that? When you're at the end of your rope, when you come to the end of yourself, when you come to your senses, turn to God. Let's be upstanding just for a moment. I always bring a word that I know that the Lord wants me to bring. All I had was a, a title, really, until last night. And I just knew a couple of days ago that the Lord wanted me to bring this, this word here about a nation, about a king, and about a son. But for us as individuals, reflect on the life of the son. When he came to his senses and he could reflect and he knew about the Father's love. That Father's love is for you here today. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you want to pray that prayer in your heart, out aloud, I encourage you to do so. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you now. I've been a bit of a prodigal. I've done my own thing. Even though I knew of your goodness and your grace, I come to my senses now. I come to my senses. I turn to you. I turn to you. And I ask, Lord, that you return my faculties and senses to me. And I ask that you return my faculties and my senses to me. I ask, Lord, that you forgive me of my sin. I ask, Lord, that you forgive me of my sin. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I invite the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in my heart. Receive me now, I pray, in all humility. Receive me now, in all humility. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. For a lot of people, that prayer is step one. That to become a disciple of Jesus Christ is the life that we're called to live. We're not just called to say a prayer. Anybody can just say a prayer. But, but to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is one who lives for him. I pray that you've done that today. Be fair, Dinkum, with God. 
and he will be so fair dinkum with you. His compassions, they fail not. His grace is new every morning and he will no wise cast out anybody who comes to him. I pray right now as Jules leads us into a closing worship song and then we'll enjoy a wonderful cup of tea. My shout, amen. And coffee. Give you my